Right, so I'm here again with um, Bod Goddard, consultant gastroenterologist, and today we're going to talk about the medical management of ulcerative colitis. Um, thanks very much for talking to us today, Bod. No problem. Um, so we'll assume now that um, we've already diagnosed the ulcerative colitis, um, either on a rigid sigmoidoscopy or a, a, col- a limited colonoscopy to take some biopsies, excluded other causes of diarrhoea, sent off their C. diff toxin, etc. Et so we know we're dealing with ulcerative colitis. Um, could you tell us how you might classify the severity of ulcerative colitis, perhaps as a starting point? Yeah, I think there are three things you need to take into consideration when you're going to treat ulcerative colitis. One's the severity, one's the extent, uh, and the last thing's the patient preference. So if you take severity first, uh, whilst there are sort of official criteria like true love and wits for defining severe uh, and, and sort of not severe colitis. I, I guess mild colitis is somebody who's opening their bowels less than five times a day, doesn't have nocturnal symptoms and doesn't have incontinence. Uh, bleeding is, is, is partly relevant, uh, but only really relevant if the patient is anemic with it. Uh, as soon as people start to open their bowels at night, have episodes of incontinence or going, you know, sort of ten times a day, it's far more significant and you begin to get into the moderate to severe uh, and then when people become systemically unwell with it uh, or anemic, that's then severe colitis. And that's how I, uh, sort of as a practical, uh, pragmatic way to think about patients as the way to go forward. You then have to look at the extent, because if someone's just got proctitis... Mm-hmm. That's or, disease limited to the rectum. Yeah, or yeah. very, or very, uh, very distal colitis, uh, you're probably going to get a, a better response and a quicker response by using topical preparations. So they're... Medications given PR? So either suppositories or in enema form. And you can have liquid enemas or foam enemas. Uh, now, the trouble with uh, enema preparations is they tend to disappear up into the sigmoid colon when you give them. And the foam tend to stay a bit lower down. But if you've got someone who's just got rectal disease, they're better off with a suppository. Mm-hmm. Now, you can treat distal disease or proctitis with uh, oral medication. Uh, but for the drugs which uh, are thought to mainly work topically, such as the five uh, ASA preparations, mm-hmm. you uh, you may well be sending it on a long journey through the gut where you can give it a much quicker journey uh, up the bottom. But because uh, most of the UK don't have a French philosophy about drugs, yes. they generally don't like putting things up their bottom, so that might need a bit of convincing. But if I've got someone who's got distal colitis, I'll talk to them about having uh, an enema or preparation as a way to treat their colitis. Yeah. And there is there is some evidence that if it's slightly beyond proctitis that both top and bottom end treatments are additive. Certainly. I mean, there's good evidence that it, it, people with pan colitis are colitis affecting the whole of the colon. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you give uh, oral uh, formulations as well as um, rectal preparations, you get uh, a better symptom and a faster symptom response. Uh, and that's because most of uh, urgency uh, and the passage of a form stool uh, is really within the, the left colon. Mm. And if you can heal that up with a, a topical preparation, mm. people will get a lot of symptom relief from that. Okay, before we go on, and let's just be clear about what drugs that we might use in treatment of colitis. So you, you mentioned ASA compounds. Okay. What, what are they? So the first, first stop is 5-aminosalicylic acid preparations, such as uh, mesalazine mm-hmm. uh, or other drugs which uh, are related to 5-SA, um, such as sulfasalazine which was the, the way uh, 5-SAs were first found to be effective in colitis. Uh, other drugs such as valsalazide, mm-hmm. um, olsalazine, mm-hmm. uh, well, they're all based on 5-SA. Uh, now, we normally give them as a, a 
oral preparation, uh, and that used to be traditionally three times a day, uh, and most colitis patients are on acicol, 800 milligrams TDS. Yeah. But now it's become realised that you don't need to give it three times a day. And most it helps with compliance as well. It helps a lot with compliance. You only need to give it once daily. Um, and there are new uh, formulations in the market which are in modified release to allow you to give these drugs once yeah. a day. So what is what is an ASA compound and how does it work? Uh, good question. No one's really quite sure exactly how they work. Uh, very similar in structure to aspirin, but doesn't uh, is, is different enough not to have the side effects that aspirin mm-hmm. has. It's thought to have a local uh, anti-inflammatory uh, effect on the mucosa. Um, exactly how it works, uh, no one really knows. There are lots of, of, of mm. theories, but mm. you could argue with any of them. Okay, so and they're the mainstay treatment for mild <coughs> for mild colitis. So they're the mainstay of treatment for mild colitis and keeping colitis in remission. Yes. Um, but as soon as somebody starts to have uh, more severe symptoms or wants a much faster response, because the trouble with 5SA preparations, particularly if they're given orally only, is they can take four to eight weeks to work. Mm. So if someone's got quite bad symptoms, which are keeping them up at night mm. or stopping them going to work or whatever, or they've got a young family they're trying to sort out, uh, they want to get better quickly. And then you would come on to using steroids. Okay. But, so what kind of steroids? Okay, so you could use uh, prednisolone as, yeah. as, as the commonest, cheapest first line. That's an oral steroid. Yes, what oral kind of, steroid. What kind of dose? And you would typically use 30 to 40 milligrams once a day, normally in the morning, uh, and then reduce the dose over uh, either by 5 milligrams every 5 days or a week or so, and tapering it slowly over five to six weeks. Yeah, but a relatively short, sharp shock with the steroids. Yes. Whilst your 5-ASAs are starting to work. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that works very effectively for the vast majority of people with steroids, uh, with, with colitis. The trouble is that a significant proportion of them will then flare up again afterwards, mm. and they then either need to have a much slower tapering course of prednisolone, and mm. that's been found to be effective for those people, or they then may need to have a second-line immunosuppressant. Right. Okay. Now, there are other forms of uh, uh, steroid apart from prednisolone. There are uh, drugs which have an extensive first-pass metabolism. What, what do you mean by that? Okay, so one of the problems with steroids and the reason the patients don't like taking them is because it gives you lots of side effects. Yeah. So you get moon face, you get a lot of weight gain, you get spots. Yeah. Uh, I've had a couple of young patients who've developed quite marked stree on their abdomens, yeah. uh, which is quite distressing. Uh, they get sleep disturbance. I've had a couple of patients have psychotic episodes. Mm-hmm. It can trigger diabetes, yeah. uh, and... Oh, perforated ulcer... Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're much rarer, but, you know, it's the common things that people yeah. don't like. Yeah. Uh, so if you have uh, forms of steroid which uh, have far less systemic effects uh, because they are uh, metabolised rapidly in the liver, mm-hmm. such as budesonide or beclometadone, uh, they have been shown to be effective for colitis, uh, and they can be used in people who have had problems okay, with... So they, they work directly on the bowel... They get absorbed and then the liver knocks them out so they don't circulate. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, the trouble with those drugs is they're much more expensive uh, and their licensing indications are a bit more restricted. Okay. But um, certainly they can be useful for people who've had big problems with steroids in the past or who are very concerned about side effects. Okay, so that so now that's for people with um, mild, uh, moderate to severe colitis um, and let's say you try them on all steroids and they're, they're not really not really improving with oral steroids and you still can come back to see a week later or so. Okay, the first thing to, to make sure is, uh, is it the colitis that's causing their symptoms? People with distal colitis often get uh, constipated behind the segment of colitis. Yep. And they get what's called proximal constipation. Yep. So, and those people typically have pain. 
Mm. And pain isn't normally a feature of ulcerative colitis. So if anybody's complaining of cramping abdominal pains, it's always worth just getting a plain abdominal x-ray and seeing if there's any significant fecal loading. Because you may then find that just giving them a bit of laxative in combination yeah. with the steroid yeah. will help. Also, it might be at that point that it's worth thinking about a topical preparation. And topical ASAs probably work better than topical steroids, but some people may then get benefit from having yeah. a hydrocortisone enema yeah. uh, if they've got there's a distal colitis. there's not much difference between topical ASAs and topical steroids contrary to what people might think. No. No, no, no. no. People might think that topical steroids would be better, but actually the evidence is the other way yeah. around. Yeah. Uh, but if, you, if you're happy they haven't got proximal constipation and they've got more extensive disease and they're just not getting better, then probably the only thing then is to admit them for intravenous steroids. Mm-hmm. And that will work in the, in the majority of people. Well, now hydrocortisone is what we use, so 100 milligrams uh, three or four times a day. Uh, And that works for many people. Uh, But that's also the drug that really should be used if someone first presents uh, and they look very sick when you first meet them. Uh, And, you know, if they're tachycardic, uh, anemic, uh, or they've got a temperature, they should be admitted uh, and they should be carefully assessed to make sure they haven't perforated with their colitis and then given intravenous steroids. Okay, so they're in, um, they're on the gastroenterology ward now, having intravenous um, hydrocortisone, 100 milligrams, four times a day, and then you see them every day and do what to them? Okay, so the the, the important thing is to to carefully look at their obs charts and make sure that they are not becoming more tachycardic or the, the temperature's not getting worse, to feel the abdomen, but... One of the problems with steroids from a clinical perspective is they can mask the signs of mm. perforation from colitis. And so you may well find people who have actually perforated from a, a toxic megacolon, um, but that hasn't been noticed because they haven't complained of pain. Yeah. Uh, and the first sign is, is when they become really, really unwell. Okay. Can uh, you, before we go on then, can you, you say toxic megacolon? Can you just tell us what that is? Okay, so toxic megacolon is thought to be... Uh, a response to having severe inflammation normally throughout the colon, although you can get it in somebody who's got a left-sided colitis, mm-hmm. but it's generally in panosal colitis, uh, and what happens is the colon then dilates, and so on an X-ray you'll see a very dilated gas-filled bowel, mm-hmm. normally over six centimetres in diameter. It's supposed to be the cut-off that, that is sighted, yeah. uh, and it has very few features. It has uh, mucosal edema mm. on the X-ray, which is, looks like thumbprinting. Which in the old-fashioned, when we had wet X-rays before digital era, someone had put their thumb on it and smudged yeah. it, yeah. Um, and, and that's what toxic megacolon. But okay. you have it in association with toxic symptoms, which is tachycardia, pyrexia. Yeah. Um, so those people are the way to pick them up early is uh, is really think about abdominal girth mm-hmm. so if you're feeling the tummy and it feels bigger but some people actually measure the abdominal girth on right. a daily basis is that reproducible uh it's a historical thing yeah. uh and i think for people on high dose of steroids where you're worried you might be masking yeah. i think it might be worth you. Okay. a daily abdominal daily is probably abdominal a, film. a better yeah. way to, yeah. to do that um but then you need someone to look at that film yes uh, and what can happen as they all test you need to have a look at the results. yes and someone right. could you know go down for the x-ray at four o'clock come back onto the wall by six and everybody's gone home and nobody actually looks at it so yeah. if you're going to have someone that you're doing that to you must make sure the x-rays are looked at okay so uh daily examination look at the obs chart abdominal film any other things you're going to do each day for them we should be doing full blood count yeah you should be doing uh urine electrolytes uh, to ensure they're not becoming dehydrated yeah. uh, and it's probably worth doing a CRP as a measure of inflammation. So the full blood count, you're looking to see if they're bleeding, not becoming anemic. Yeah. And hemoglobin going down is a bad sign. Yeah. White cell count being raised is a bad sign. Yeah. Platelet count being raised is a bad sign. Yeah. And, and also monitoring how these things change. Yes. 
um, and using these to make sure they're not dehydrated. And then tell us about CRP. Okay, so C-reactive protein is uh, an acute inflammatory protein which your body produces in response to any type of inflammation. Okay, uh, it has been shown that in people with ulcerative colitis, with severe ulcerative colitis, their CRP is above 400. That's a good marker that they're going to end up having a colectomy at some point. Yeah. However, you judge the patient, not the blood test. Yeah. But anybody who's got a CLP over 100, you should be worried about and you should be keeping a particular careful eye on. Yeah, now there's a much battered around um, fact or opinion about CRP greater than 75 on day three after... Uh, steroid intravenous steroid treatments. Uh, certainly, there's evidence that those people are more likely to have a colectomy. Mm-hmm. Than, but then anybody who's still um, symptomatic after three days of intravenous steroid yeah. is heading for yeah. something like a colectomy anyway. And normally, with those people, we would then debate whether we use cyclosporin yeah. or infliximab right. as a sort of as a last ditch medical maneuver. So, cyclosporin is what? Okay, cyclosporin is uh, a counterneurin inhibitor. Yeah, uh, which is labels in a uh, was first discovered by Sir Roy Kahn. Um, yes. uh, so it's immunosuppressant. Isn't yeah, it? it was used yeah. in transplant surgery, and it's been found to be very good uh, uh, in acute. Setting. The trouble with azathioprine, which we often use as a as a second line drug in people with chronic ulcerative colitis, yes. uh, is it takes three to six months to work. Yes, and someone who's got a sick colon, you haven't got that sort of idea. You want something that works quickly. So intravenous cyclosporin can be very effective and probably saves about a third of people with severe ulcerative colitis yes. from having a colectomy. At that point? At that, well, that year. Yes. Okay. So it's the rule of thirds. So if, if someone's sick enough to need cyclosporin, a third of people will not have a colectomy that year. Mm-hmm. A third of people will end up having a colectomy that year or they will get out of hospital on this admission. Mm-hmm. And a third of people, it won't make a difference and they'll end up having a colectomy that admission. Yeah. Okay. And then infliximab? It's probably about the same as cyclosporin. There are currently trials going on trying to compare the two. Um, there are pros and cons to both. Uh, the, infliximab is a very is a TNF alpha um, antibody and uh, is a very strong immunosuppressant, which has been shown to work very effectively for severe Crohn's disease. Uh, but the trouble with it is it doesn't make you very prone to infection. Yeah. So if you've got people who are uh, who are likely to end up having colectomy and you make them very immunosuppressed. Yes. If they then get a post-operative infection, they become extremely unwell, Yes. Uh, particularly if they get MRSA or something else like yes. that, and, and that can create a lot of heartache. And but, not a very well bunch of patients in any case. No. No. Okay. So um, let's say you're on day three, the patient isn't getting better. What do you as the gastroenterologist do? First of all, I talk to the surgeon. Yeah. Okay, and the patient. I, mean, I think the thing is you have to be honest and frank with people. You know, we, as physicians, there is this sort of thing that we don't want to admit defeat and send them over to mm-hmm. the surgeons. However, uh, everybody's got something to, to, to offer the patient at this point, and uh, you can debate very long and hard what is the best thing for them. Now, some young patients may have a complete phobia about the idea of having a stoma, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, having that would be the worst thing in their life. So, you know, you need to be mindful of that. Other people really just want to get better quickly and don't mind what you do to them there at that stage. So I think provided you and the surgeon are talking to each other and talking to the patient about uh, what the options are and being totally honest about the long-term mm-hmm. nature of these things, uh, that it generally works out right. Yeah. The trouble is the later you leave it to involve the surgeons, the more likely the surgery will be complicated the more likely there'll be a bad outcome for the patient. And also, it gives less time for the patient to psychologically prepare themselves. If you tell somebody, you know, when I admit people with severe colitis, when I start 
as soon as I start to think about using cyclosporine, I tell them that surgery is an option and mm-hmm. may, may be necessary. So they're already beginning to get their idea, their heads around the idea that this might be needed. Uh, and also, if they've then met the surgeon, provided they're a nice, friendly type of colorectal surgeon, uh, that also helps. Yeah, and the surgeon comes along and also introduces them to the stoma nurse yeah. and gets them mentally prepared for if they need an operation, which will inevitably give them an ileostomy, at least temporarily. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, uh, in summary then, um, mild, moderate and severe colitis, mild being less, bowels open less than five times, a bit of urgency, not too much bleeding, no incontinence, uh, no getting them at night. Moderate, a bit worse than that, perhaps up to ten times a day with some bleeding, some incontinence, etc. And severe is when they're too unwell to be outside hospital. And, um, And mild, you treat with ASAs from the bottom end, if it's just distal, or both ends, if it's a little bit more proximal to that. And uh, and then moderate, uh, or people aren't coping with their symptoms, um, so a short, sharp course of um, oral steroid, and then bring them in for in severe colitis, or symptoms aren't resolving, for some intravenous steroid, um, and then monitor that, and either give them um, second-line treatments, such as immunosuppressant cyclosporine, infliximab, or um, ask the surgeon to see them also to consider yeah. the surgery. Is that, is that about summing up, do you think? The only thing we haven't really talked about there is relapsing ulcerative colitis. Yes. The vast majority of people have got relapsing disease and they have flares, so you know, one or two let, a year. Let's say that if someone comes in their first episode, it's, it's quite bad, they need intravenous steroids. What's the chance of them having another attack? Pretty high. And those people, I would probably start them on azathioprine orally anyway. Because yeah. uh, when you've had intravenous cyclosporine, you then have them on oral cyclosporine and then you then tail that off. You don't like giving people oral cyclosporine long term because it has renal side effects and it can get problems uh, with, uh, with you know, sort of kidney damage in the long run. Mm-hmm. So we don't like using cyclosporine long term. So we use another immunosuppressant, and the commonest one we use is azathioprine. And there's good evidence that azathioprine is a very effective drug at keeping people with ulcerative colitis in remission. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also use azathioprine in somebody who's needed who's, who's needed steroids twice in six months. Uh, you know, clearly they have a lot of steroid yeah. dependency. Now, people being on 5-ASA long-term does reduce the, the relapse rate, mm-hmm. but it's not effective as azathioprine. But again, it's a far more toxic drug than a, uh, than um, mistalazine yeah. because it has all the problems of long-term immunosuppression, including an increased risk of lymphoma yeah. and potentially other cancers. Yes. So uh, it's, a, it's a drug that we, we use commonly, but we... We'll wait until we need to use it. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, thank you very much for that, Dr. Goddard. My pleasure. For making a, a complicated subject relatively simple.